Amen. You may be seated. Thank you all for being here today. I just want to start off by saying a big thank you uh, for all of those that were involved in the fall festival outreach yesterday. Amelia Perkins headed that up and did a fantastic job, and many of you helped. I don't know how many people were here, but there were a lot of people here, uh, a lot of unfamiliar faces, and it seemed like everybody had a good time. I was responsible for the bounce house, and I can gladly say no children suffered any concussions, so I felt really good about that. It was, it was a pretty close-run thing, if I'm being honest. So. Uh, Big thank you for that. Also, a big thank you for the missions committee. Those of you that may be newer here, we do these loaf and ladles. Basically, that is where we have our missionaries come and speak to us in a, in a um, lunch-type setting. So any of you that are interested in hearing more from, from Byron, um, that will be immediately following the service. But a big thank you to the missions committee for putting that on. Uh, we are in the final Sunday of a series that we've been doing for the past uh, month, month and a half, focused on work. And today we are really going to try to close that well. Let me start by just sharing an experience I had. Until about a year ago, I had a friend that I worked out with regularly. We'll call this friend Bob. Bob's life was very different from mine. Most weeks, he was flying all around the country for his job as the CEO of a startup. He was always going somewhere. One week, Bob would be in Atlanta. The next, he would be in San Diego. One time when he and I were talking, he told me that in the coming week, he was going to go from Miami to San Francisco, to Vancouver, to Montreal. I asked if airlines flew directly from Vancouver to Montreal. Bob responded a little sheepishly that he didn't know because he always flew private jets. His life was very different from mine. At the time, Bob and I had another friend that we worked out with, and I said to this other friend one day that I hoped Bob was making a lot of money for his efforts. You see, he rarely saw his wife and three kids. To me, his wife looked miserable. Now, a couple of months back, I ran in to this same friend that Bob and I used to work out with, and he said, you know what, I found out how much Bob makes. And I was like, oh, oh, how much does Bob make? Apparently there was a publicly available stock filing that this friend of mine had looked at. He said, in 2019, Bob made $750,000. I was like, wow, that's, that's good money, plus stock options. One of the primary things, if not the main thing, people think about when they agree to do a job is how much they will be compensated for their efforts. I imagine Bob felt that he was well compensated. Over the past several weeks here at Byfield, we have been focusing on work, and as I said, today is our final Sunday, looking at that topic. God has made us 
to work. He has redeemed us to work on behalf of his kingdom. Work shouldn't be an idol. We should rest from it, but we all have work to do. A job is important, yes, some way to make money. Even more important is doing the work that God has called us to. A question that arises when we think about working is what our compensation will be. And this is a question that we ask God as well. It is a question that the Bible does not shy away from. If anything, the Bible encourages us to think about how we will be compensated for our efforts on behalf of God's kingdom. If you would please turn with me now to Galatians chapter 6, we will read verses 7 through 10. The sixth chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Galatia can be found on page 916 if you're using the Pew Bible. These verses will actually not be projected on the screen behind me today, so if you want to be able to read along, I would encourage you to open up your personal Bible, or you can also uh, use the Pew Bible. That's Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. This is one of those statements in the Bible that many are familiar with. It is so obviously true and broadly applicable. Anybody that has a garden can tell you that if you plant tomatoes, strawberries are not going to grow. A direct cause and effect relationship exists between the effort a person puts in on the front end and the results of those efforts on the back end. Our world is logical in this way. The Apostle Paul feels the need to remind the Galatians that this cause and effect relationship between sowing and reaping applies to more than just gardens. What is true of gardens is true of life in general. The results of life are tied to the actions of life. The effort you put into any area will largely determine the outcome you get on the back end. This is a basic truth that I have frequently pointed out when I coach the sports teams my kids play on. 
we will do a new drill that forces kids to do something they are not used to doing, such as dribbling a basketball with their left hand or kicking a soccer ball with their left foot. One of the kids on the team, these are like eight, nine-year-olds, will always say, but I'm not good at this. The implication of their statement is that not being good at it means that we should work on something else. My, my counter-argument is always the same. I look into their little faces and I say, of course you're terrible. Of course. Kids need to hear this. Of course you're terrible. You haven't put in the work. Results don't spring out of nowhere. They are a product of what came before. If you want to see results, you have to put in the effort. The cause and effect relationship that exists throughout all areas of life is often difficult to discern, though. While tomato seeds won't result in strawberries, it does seem like they often result in weeds. Well, I tell the kids I coach that how good they are at a particular sports skill is dependent on their efforts, I am also aware none of them is the next Jason Tatum or even the next Marcus Smart. In any situation, there are multiple input factors that influence the output. A few weeks ago, I preached on the curse from Genesis 3. We live in a world where thorns and thistles will result from our efforts. Chaos has a say in every result. We can never exercise complete control over the outcomes of our efforts, even in the most straightforward arenas. Our daily experience of a world that includes chaos means it is easy for us to be deceived regarding the relationship between what we are sowing and what we are reaping. Paul warns us to not be deceived. What we sow, the efforts we make in life, matter very much. This is an encouragement. It is also a warning. We are motivated to deceive ourselves. If our actions don't matter, it means that we are free to do whatever we want. The only ambition of the truly nihilistic person who thinks that nothing they do matters is pleasure. Nobody here probably goes to that extreme, but we have all been guilty at one time or another of this sort of thinking. The, pers the person who slacks off at work convinces themselves that their lack of effort doesn't matter for themselves or anyone else. My actions, your actions, do matter. We may deceive ourselves, but God is not mocked. The phrase, you reap what you sow, is often used in a judgmental way. 
When someone we don't like or respect has a bad outcome, we murmur under our breath. You reap what you sow. <laughs> Quietly, right? Because it's kind of a jerk thing to say. It is a way we can express satisfaction with someone else's downfall while still sounding Christian in the process. That is not what Paul is doing here. He is motivating the Galatians in the present. Do not be deceived in the present. God is not mocked now or in the future. What you sow now will determine what you reap in the future. So get busy sowing. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This verse presents two diametrically opposed options for sowing and reaping. The work that we do in this world that is focused only on this world and the benefits we can gain from it will end in corruption. The corruption being referred to here is the corruption associated with death. Everything in this world is subject to death. Some might push back and say, well, that's not really true. Within 10 minutes of this church, there are many houses that still exist in spite of the fact that those that built them have been dead for a long time, sometimes for hundreds of years. It is true that not everything we make in our life will immediately fall into disrepair, but everything that is tied to this world will. Paul isn't just referring to mold and rust and death, though. He is saying that working for the satisfaction of our flesh corrupts us. Our, our very souls are corrupted with death by sowing to the flesh. The pyramids in Egypt are a great illustration of how this plays out. The ancient pharaohs, they were tremendously wealthy. And when they died, they wanted to be able to take all this wealth that they had worked so hard for throughout their lives. They wanted to be able to take it with them. And so they took it inside these tombs. Centuries later, when archaeologists opened the tombs that hadn't been pillaged by grave robbers, what did they find? They found the desiccated bodies of the pharaohs surrounded by their tremendous wealth. Many physically healthy people that are alive and walking around today have souls that resemble the corrupted remains of those Egyptian pharaohs. They think what they have worked so hard to accrue in this world is life-giving. It's not, it's corrupted, with death, they are likewise corrupted with death through it. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. I'd say this is a better option. It's hard to argue 
otherwise. To make the case that sowing to the Spirit is not the way to go, you'd have to deny what Paul is saying in these verses completely. You would need to deny the Bible and also deny God. Those who claim to be Christians are unlikely to make any of those denials, but there is a different belief common in Christianity that doesn't outright deny what is being said here. It just avoids its implications. It's not uncommon to interact with Christians that live as if how they sow in the present will have no impact on eternity. The thought is that our eternal life has been purchased by Jesus' blood alone. Nothing we do in this world can change that for better or worse. While it is true that we are secure in God's grace through Christ, it is also true that how we live now matters. In focusing on the latter, these verses do not deny the former. Our concern need not be where the dividing line is between the grace we have been given and the sowing we are supposed to be doing. The thing we all need to know is what it means for us to sow in, in the Spirit. There is no question that is what every Christian is supposed to do. I can rest in the knowledge that God will do his part. I must acknowledge that I have a part to play. Effort is required from us. Pastor John Stott clarifies what this effort consists of. He writes, to sow to the spirit is the same as to set the mind on the spirit from Romans 8, 6. And to walk by the Spirit, from Galatians 5.16, the seeds we sow are our thoughts and deeds. We are to seek and to set our minds on the things of God, things that are above, not things that are on the earth. We do this through certain actions. Prayer, Bible study, being a part of Christian community and worship. One of the primary ways we sow to the Spirit is by living out our calling. More than a particular act, sowing to the Spirit describes a relationship we have with God through the Spirit that touches on every area of our lives, including our work. Like anything else, we get better at living a spirit-filled life if we practice it. When it comes to sowing to the spirit, many Christians are like the kids I coach in basketball that are trying to dribble with their left hand. It feels awkward. It feels unnatural. Many Christians feel uncomfortable with the spirit. They don't think they can do anything with the Spirit, so they don't try. They don't realize they can't do anything because they haven't tried. Churches are often filled with Christians that can't even do the basics of Christianity. If we want to get better at moving through life with the Spirit, we've got to put in the work. The Christian that experiences no struggle 
in practice is not pushing themselves hard enough. Now, this can go to an extreme, and, and certainly that's not what this text or I am trying to advocate for. But feeling inept when practicing is unavoidable. God would much rather us try and fail than us never try at all. Those who are unwilling to sow will not reap. God is not blind to what happens when we put effort into sowing. It's tiring. We have a tendency to get weary. The work God calls us to do can be draining. It is hard work. God is always looking for us to grow. He, all, he also has some pretty big tasks that he wants done. This means that the things we are being called to accomplish will stretch us. The more we accomplish in Jesus' name, the greater the challenges will be. One of the greatest sources of weariness is that the effort we make to do the work God has called us to will bear no fruit. So often, I feel like I am failing in the work God has called me to. Every week, I prepare a sermon here at Byfield, and it can often feel like the effort I put into sermons doesn't really make a difference. And all of you are very nice. And people will come up to me after and say, thank you, no, I really appreciate it. Don't be discouraged, like whatever. I appreciate it. you're all very nice. I'm not saying this so that you will feel sorry for me. I'm saying this because you probably feel the exact same way in the work that you do. And it is tempting to just give up. Verse 9 recognizes our tendency to grow weary of doing good. It encourages us by saying, in due season, we will reap. If we are doing what God has called us to, the results will come. They will happen when they should, in due season. This is, our encouragement is tempting to believe our efforts are pointless. They are not. God will bring a harvest through them. There is a caveat, though. We have to not give up. We have to persevere. We have to trust that if we do the work God is calling us to through the Holy Spirit, that the results will come. In verse 10, Paul sums up the point he wants his readers to take home in the most basic way. He writes, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those that are of the household of faith. It doesn't get much more basic than this. Christians are to do good to everyone. If you are working to do good, you should keep on doing so. If you cannot name someone you are attempting to do good for, you shouldn't be surprised when there is nothing 
to reap. I imagine a lot of people will get to heaven and God will ask how they sowed. They will tell God they never did much because they weren't sure what he wanted from them. God will say, how could I have made it more basic than commanding you to do good for others? If anyone isn't sure what type of good to do, I would ask, what sort of good has God given you the opportunity to do? Everyone has opportunities. Even in the most pointless job, you can do good. The task you are getting paid for may not feel meaningful, but you are still interacting with other human beings. How are you doing good for them? If you look for opportunities to do good in your life, you will find them. We are especially called to do good to those who are of the household of faith. If you don't know how to do good for other Christians, yeah, grab me after the service. It's not a problem. I can give you a few ways, a few needs that exist. Currently, our Christian education team is working on getting our nursery back going post-COVID. That's a really straightforward way to do good for others. My friend Bob, the CEO, made a lot of money in 2019. $750,000 is nothing to, to sneeze at. But probably the most valuable part of his compensation was the stock options he received. He owns a portion of a company that will continue to increase in value over time. The, compensations, the compensation Christians reap for the work they do for God is of much greater value. God has given us an ownership stake in his kingdom. Those who sow to the Spirit will reap eternal life. Each day we have an opportunity to work on God's behalf by doing good to everyone, especially our fellow Christians. We should be motivated by the knowledge that we can benefit from the efforts we make. We should take advantage of the chances we have to do good. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I would pray that the message people leave here today with would be a message of encouragement. A message that we all have the opportunity to do good. And for those that are unsure how to sow in their lives, Lord, I pray that you would just make that really clear to them this week. I pray that you would bring an opportunity into their lives where they can say, this is an opportunity that God has given me to do good. And through that practice of doing good, through that practice of sowing to the Spirit, we would grow in our understanding that we would experience a small measure of the eternal life 
that you have for us here through loving others that you place in our lives, Lord. We thank you for the jobs that you've given the people in this room. We thank you for the work that you have called them to. I pray that you would continue to provide opportunities and blessing, Lord, and that we would continue to advance, both in our jobs and in our work, and to the extent that those two things are the same thing, that we would do so in both areas, Lord. I thank you and I praise you, Lord, for an opportunity for our work to have meaning and purpose and for it to bear fruit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.